Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, our mission is focused on creating high quality habitat for upland game birds. As you undoubtedly know by now, that very same upland habitat, that habitat filled with a diverse mix of grasses and flowering plants is also the very same critical habitat needed by pollinators, honeybees, monarch butterflies, and every species of insect, bird, mammal, and critter requiring upland habitat. In this episode of On the Wing Podcast, we're going to preview Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's annual celebration of Pollinator Week, coming up starting on June the 21st and running the entire week. We'll be introducing fresh content on all of our online channels, channels, websites, social media, videos, and this podcast. And we're going to be talking about our habitat mission for pheasants and for quail and how pollinators also benefit from that habitat mission. Our featured guests for this episode, making his return visit to On the Wing Podcast. What's this, number three, Drew? Number three. The, the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever family, Drew Larson, the Director of Education and Outreach for our organization, and making her inaugural debut, Anna Swarzak. Very excited to be packing boxes between this podcast, moving home to the state of Nebraska where uh, her her smile on her face is uh, priceless. It's, it's ear to ear. She's moving back to her husband's family farm. And Anna is our Habitat Education Program Manager. So let's start this episode with... Uh, I've introduced you a little bit, but uh, our, our audience wants to hear directly from both of you. And Drew, we'll let you go first since you've um, you've been on the podcast a few times and, and folks know you a little bit. I certainly want you to uh, tell people what you do for the organization and, and how long you've been with the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. But we all want to know now that the pandemic is lift, lifting and live music is coming back into our lives. I saw on uh, Instagram recently, Pearl Jam announced live tour. How many shows are you going to catch Pearl Jam this summer, Drew? <laughs> Boy, it's, uh, I need to talk to my boss about that one a little bit, but uh, I'm going to try to catch as many as I can. It seems like it's been forever since I've seen live music. And uh, that is one of the things I'm super looking forward to once we finally turn the corner on this pandemic is uh, getting to a live show. So uh, I'm going to get to a couple at least. Let's say that. Like I, can, it, I can guarantee that. I know we talked about on a recent, well, on one of the podcasts you were on seeing Pearl Jam at uh, Wrigley, right? That, was, that wasn't all too terribly um, close from when the pandemic started, was it? Or, was, or am I miss, was it a summer before? Maybe it was, it was a, a summer, summer before. 
Um, okay. I believe the pandemic hit, but yeah, that was uh, an amazing show. Just just being in a Wrigley. If you've ever been to Wrigley before, it's yeah an amazing place. The senior favorite band there, something else. <laughs> All right, so so that's the Pearl Jam component of this episode. <laughs> uh, thank you to our listeners for humoring us. Uh, tell 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 our listeners uh, a little bit about what you do, Drew. Yeah, uh, so I am the director of uh, education and outreach for the organization. Uh, somebody was just asking me this the other day how long I've, I've been here, and I had to do some quick math, and it's almost 17 years now, so it's it's uh, getting up there a little bit, but it's been a great 17 years. But started out as a, as a regional biologist, what we used to call them back in the day, mm. that serviced our chapters in western Nebraska and all of Colorado. And then about eight years ago, nine years ago, I came on to the education and outreach team, and uh, it's been great. Uh, it's been a great uh, eight, nine years. So I get the pleasure of leading Anna, who you're going to meet today, but a couple other folks as well on our team that uh, work on all things education and outreach for the organization. So, and a big part of that, which is what we're going to talk about today, is some of our pollinator um, education and outreach efforts. So I have a photo in my office um, at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever office um, of you and me in... It was near Beatrice, Nebraska. So folks that aren't from Nebraska, it's spelled just like Beatrice, but in Nebraska, it's it's pronounced Beatrice. And do you remember this hunt? This was I like remember a- it well, man. I think I'd only been on probably a couple weeks at most. And so I hadn't met really anybody outside Keith Bruce in Nebraska and Pete Berthelsen. So that was my first team meeting. Uh, and yeah, yes, you were there, Bob, Matt Holland. Uh, and I'm trying to think who else um, on that trip. Jim Inglis was there. Yeah, Jim Inglis. Um, I believe Aaron Sanquist was there. Yep. And in you and me, and and you're right, Keith was there. And I think so. That was 17 years ago. In that entire photo, there's only one person that um, isn't still part of the organization, and that's Keith Bruce, who is still connected with a lot of us. But um, everybody else on that particular hunt has has been with the organization closing in on two decades wow, or more. It's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I remember that uh, trip very well. I remember the photo, too. Uh, I think I've got it in an old PowerPoint presentation somewhere that uh, comes up every now and again. So that was a good little trip. That was a good little hunt. It was it was my very first uh, quail hunt in my entire life, and I am a super proud of the fact that uh, the first bobwhite I ever pulled up on I actually hit, which is just dumb, 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 dumb luck because they're pretty tough. But that was that was a fun deal, very fun deal. Um, so. So you've been with the organization, like you said, 17 years. You have a degree in biology. You mentioned that as a regional biologist. T- tell us a little bit about your background, um, you just from a from a schooling perspective to give a little bit more depth there. Sure. I went to school in uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln and got a, uh, just a basic biology degree. A uh, four-year degree from there, I went on and got my first job in uh, Missouri, working for the Missouri Department of Conservation as a resource uh, technician. So I helped manage uh, wildlife management areas just right outside Kansas City. Um, that was a great place to start my career. They had great people to work with. Um, 
and B, I was right outside Kansas City, so I caught lots of Royals games. I was only about 45 <laughs> minutes away from uh, the stadium, uh, but yet I could be in a 2,000-acre wildlife management area just outside Kansas City that had all kinds of awesome outdoor opportunities. So it was a great place to start the career. And then from there, I was there about just about five years. And then um, I had one year in at Central Missouri State in my graduate uh, uh, degree. And then I saw this job opening come up for uh, wildlife biologists for pheasants forever. I was like, man, that would be so cool. I'm just going to I'm going to put in for this thing just to hope to get an interview. That was my only goal. It's like I just want to get an interview and go through the process and get some experience. And uh, ended up getting lucky enough to get an interview. Um, my wife and I drove back there, and I thought I did terrible. I left thinking there's no way they're going <laughs> to offer me a position. Uh, but uh, lo and behold, they uh, I don't know if they just uh, ran, out of, uh, ran out of other people to ask or everybody said no, but I got lucky, and uh, I've been here ever since. So great deal. And I, I do think um, it's really important for our listeners to recognize, you know, as as I've brought up on a number of podcasts, we have um, uh, just a wealth of biologists working in this organization and in a lot of different roles. I talk um, a fair amount about our farm bill biologist program and the number of biologists that we have working with landowners through um, partnerships with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But like Drew, like Jim Inglis, like Matt Holland, three of the folks we mentioned on that hunt from 17 years ago. I, I, I'm not one of them, but the other three, you know, they all have biology degrees. Matt Holland works on our development team. Jim Inglis works at, in government affairs. And Drew, biologist, leads up our education and outreach component and, and some of the programs um, that, that focus on that intersection between pheasants, quail, our habitat mission, and then pollinators and monarchs. Tell, give our um, listeners just an overview of some of those programming. And I swear we're getting we're getting to you very <laughs> soon. But I wanted, yeah. I, it, we're going to focus on pollinator week with Anna. But I wanted to give Drew a moment just to give an overview of the depth and breadth of um, programs and initiatives that we have going. Um, through you and your team related to, to pollinators and how that connects to pheasants and quail. Yeah, absolutely. I won't steal Anna's thunder here because I know she's probably going to go through some of these in, in more detail than I am. But as it relates to education and outreach, there's really three main programs where we are, are kind of focused on pollinators. So we have our pollinator habitat outreach program. It's been going since 2013. And that was really a way to incentivize or offer cares to our chapters to go out there and work with community groups to actually get their hands dirty and plant, you know, these smaller pollinator habitat projects. Uh, so that's the main one. I'm sure Anna will go into a lot more detail than I just did there, but um, great program. It continues to grow year after year. We've got some great sponsors who continue to support that program year after year. Our newest one is uh, milkweed in the classroom. So that was a little bit of an interesting one because we piloted that, uh, program a year ago. Um, so we all know what happened in, in uh, March mm -hmm. uh, 20 in 2020. Uh, and so right in the middle of that program, school shut down. I mean, it's, it's a, a program that offers these turnkey kits for classrooms to grow milkweed plants in the classroom. And so, I mean, these teachers had to just leave and never come back to their kits. So that was a little bit of an interesting pilot year 
Um, mm. But this year it went really, really well. I got some really great feedback. Uh, we'll implement some new stuff next year for it. But um, that's our newest one. I, I feel really good about that one. And it's it's got a lot of opportunity uh, to grow. And I'm confident Anna will continue to grow it. And then uh, our third program, it's really not its really not much of a program. It's just more of a, a fun way to engage folks and raise awareness around monarchs and raise some money uh, for Monarch Habitat. Is that it's a joint effort with the Monarch Joint Venture uh, called Miles for Monarchs. So it's just a fun way to encourage people to get outside and exercise and track their miles, share it on social media, uh, to just kind of help tell the monarch story and raise some money for the monarch habitat work both of our organizations do. And that kicked off in June. Cor correct. Yes, yeah. so it started June 1. So we did, we did three. Uh, we're doing three virtual events a year. They're all a month long. So we do one in February to kind of coincide with Pheasant Fest and Quail right. Classic, <laughs> which didn't happen this year, uh, as we all know. But then we do one in June to kind of highlight Pollinator Week and some other things around that. And then we'll do one in the fall to kind of highlight that fall migration when those monarchs are migrating to Mexico in the fall. Right. All right. I am looking at Anna on my screen and she's got boxes all around. She's she is smiling from ear to ear. Um, so let's start there. Anna. tell us about the big move home. Yes, um, we are packing this weekend and moving home next weekend. Um, so it's been one of those things where I feel like we've been talking about it for a while. And then all of a sudden now it's like, all right, it's here. Next week, it's happening. And you're moving back to your, you said your husband's family farm? Yep. Um, so he's um, right now working for a Bartlett Grain Company and um, is leaving them to go back and help on the family farm do pioneer seed sales um, and kind of going back to uh, more of just the farm life and enjoying that out of the city atmosphere. Nice. Uh, all right. So tell our listeners a little bit about you, um, where you went to school, where you grew up and um, uh, what you do for the organization. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, grew up in Nebraska um, in a small town called Soresco on the eastern side. Um, but I spent a lot of my time out in central Nebraska in the Sand Hills um, mm -hmm. with my dad out there. And so I grew up doing a lot of hunting out there, hiking out in the sand hills. Um, ever since I was super little, dad would leave me on the sand hill and he would go make stocks out of antelope. And um, I just, I think that's kind of what sparked that innate love for the prairie and for pollinators that uh, drove me to go and get a biology degree. So I have my fisheries and wildlife degree from U University of Nebraska. And then from there, right out of college, um, I got on with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever as a farm bill biologist out in Western Kansas. So I worked for two years out in Western Kansas as a farm bill biologist in a little town called Nest City, which is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you've been out that way or not. Um, I think I have. I think I've been out that direction for Rooster Road Trip because that's Pretty good bird numbers out that way. Yes. Yep. It is. Uh, they have a lot of pheasants. That's for sure. Out mm -hmm. that way. Um, so I lived. I mean, we were an hour away from any sort of Walmart um, or anything like that. So definitely out in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, and then from there, um, I actually left Pheasants Forever and Coal Forever for three months um, <laughs> when I, my husband was living in Kansas City at the time. And so that four and a half hours was getting pretty long. Um, and so I left and told, um, would have been the regional director at the time. I'm like, I'm not like leaving for good. Like I'm, you know, the first thing that comes open, like I'm going to get back on, hmm. um, and only took three months was back on and then have transitioned onto our education and outreach team since then. That's pretty interesting. Cause both of you, Drew and Anna, um, stepped away to take other positions and then came back to the organization. Um, that's that's pretty unique in the working world to circle back and come come back to the organization that you had left. Um, maybe let's start with Anna. Why why did you feel compelled to come back to a job that you had departed? Oh man, um, I think it's our culture. Um, we have so much of a family culture within Fence Forever and Quell Forever that being in other offices and talking with other people in the natural resource field, I, hmm. it's so unique, I think, to us. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, I can go on and on about all the freaking awesome work we do for habitat for pheasants and quail and pollinators um, and all the awesome partners we have. But in the end, it's it's our family culture that, hmm. that brought me back. Drew, you're, you're nodding your head in agreement. Is that similar in your thought process? Yeah, and and I nailed it. It's it's uh, absolutely the the people and the culture here. So there's a lot of great organizations out there doing great work, just like we are. But it's certainly the people that uh, you know brought me back for sure. Huh. That's cool. That hopefully members hear that and and, and find some level of uh, comfort in knowing how connected we all are um, to each other and to the mission. You know, it's a, it is. Um, it is a good, you know, at, at its very heart, good-natured group of people that really care about delivering um, the habitat mission on the ground for, yes, for birds, yes, for bees, yes, for butterflies, but also for people. You know, we all care very much about uh, making this place, a, um, you know, a great place to chase birds behind dogs and with friends and family and see those sunrises and see that milkweed on the landscape and that you know the the little blue stem flowing in the wind it's um it's a pretty gratifying place to work and be a part of that um as as we get into the pollinator week component i want to um mention a um, a shout out to one of our partners and rather than just read their commercial which i'll get to in a moment um south dakota um, since we're talking pollinators, consistently ranks number two or number three in states producing honeybees. Isn't that right? Drew, Drew's nodding his head. I got my stat right. Uh, You're there's correct. A, there's a lot of habitat in South Dakota. It's, there should be. It's the pheasant capital of the country, right? But that pheasant habitat, like we're going to talk about throughout this episode, creates habitat for honeybees. So um, it's, I think listeners get a kick out of that fact. If I recall correctly, Drew, isn't North Dakota like the number one producing honeybee state? Correct. Yeah, North Dakota and then South Dakota is usually first or second. And then I think Florida 
uh, comes in there too um, as that second or third state every year. But the Dakotas are huge for honey production. Cool. It's no coincidence that they just happen to be great pheasant production states too. So. <laughs> well, well, that plays perfectly into my uh, my commercial read for South Dakota. Uh, make a memory this season in the world's greatest place to hunt pheasants, South Dakota. Get your license and plan your adventure at huntthegreatestsd.com. And thanks to South Dakota Tourism and South Dakota Game Fish and Parks for sponsoring On the Wing podcast. All right. So we've touched on this a couple of times. I'm going to start with Drew. Um, The connection between pheasants, quail, pollinators. I mean, we just talked about this very expressed or deliberately with South Dakota. But for folks that are stumbling into this podcast, maybe they've missed the, I don't know, five other pollinator oriented podcast we've done break it down biology 101 web of life pheasants quail pollinators how do those all intersect <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question bob and believe it or not it seems like we have addressed this a ton you know and since really 2012 2013 when we really started playing more in the pollinator space but i can see why people ask that question i mean you know, we're pheasants forever, quail forever. It's like, why are you guys involved in the pollinator space and the pollinator habitat? But it's really an easy answer, and it comes down to habitat because they share the exact same type of habitat. Early succession, highly diverse type habitat, um, broadly flowering plants that attract those soft-bodied insects, those pollinators that we talk about. Um, that's what pheasants and quail need um, for the first six to eight weeks of life. That's pretty much all they eat are these soft-bodied insects. So when we're talking pheasant and quail habitat, it's it's really pollinator habitat too. It's all one and the same. So that that's why we're involved because uh, it's work we're doing for pollinators is fantastic for pheasants and quail and vice versa. Anna, and you have such a unique perspective being a, a farm bill biologist, you know, years ago and, and then your role now with the habitat um, education and outreach team. Um, when, like, when we started talking pollinators to today, when when did you start getting questions from landowners that really changed the narrative? Um, and when you were a farm bill biologist, I'm assuming there was a moment in time when the questions like sort of morphed away from pheasants, quail, deer, turkeys to a more holistic approach. It, Am I accurate in that assessment? Yeah. Um, and maybe sometimes I didn't really give them too much of a, a choice there out in the field. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, you talk about we only make more birds one time a year. Hmm. Um, and that comes from pollinator habitat. It's you start getting them out and you do field visits with them one on one out in the field. And I guarantee you almost all of them by the end of it. We're walking around finding milkweed, looking for monarch eggs. I mean, looking at different bumblebees, butterflies. I don't care. You know, it was it was pretty funny to see. You know, sometimes these were the you know pretty rough men out there in the field, and oh man, they would they would get down with me and go look for monarch eggs and stuff like that too, mm. and having their wives out there as well. I mean, you you get them on board, and you know they don't have much of a choice if. <laughs> to get the wife on board with wanting to do some awesome pollinator habitat. 
Is there a uh, particular landowner, you don't have to say a name, but particular that had a really moving experience by transformation on property through some of the work you did? Yeah, um, there was. And a specific farm had, you know, just the dad was still kind of doing more of the management and the son was in his mid 40s. And the older generation would get more into the the holistic view of everything. And he kind of understood that bigger picture a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really interesting to kind of see you could, you know, he would talk about, oh, when I was, you know, that age, I didn't really, I didn't really get it. Um, but now he's like, I want to leave this, you know, better um, for my son and for the next generation. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. So, and that's what we want to talk about today, kind of that holistic view. And then we utilize Pollinator Week as an opportunity to explain and reiterate that intersection between our pheasant and habitat um, mission, pheasant and quail habitat mission, and how it benefits pollinators, how it benefits monarchs, and how they all um, feed off of each other. Not literally, well, sort of literally, but not not necessarily. Uh, it sort of fuels the passion for, for landowners um, in a lot of different ways. And Pollinator Week was started by the U.S. Senate um, through unanimous approval in 2006. Um, and it was created to elevate this issue of pollinator um, population declines as an urgent issue for, for America, particularly across America's heartland. So Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever has been celebrating Pollinator Week for um, maybe not since 2006, but we've been, we've been pretty active in the whole Pollinator Week um, um, campaign for probably a decade now. Um, so we're, we're, we're putting together our content um, or the content's about put together as we kick this off for Pollinator Week. And we do have an amazing pollinator kit, literally a pollinator kit promotion connected to a Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever membership offer. That's where I want to start. I want to go straight to uh, the gold medal component of Pollinator Week. And that that's because, Anna, you brought this together. And I just think that it's, it's it, it, by far the most exciting pollinator kind of component we've ever had in a decade of doing this. So let's start there. Tell tell us about this pollinator kit and uh, how how our listeners can get involved. Yep, um, super excited for this kit. Um, to start, we wouldn't be able to do this kit without our partners that we have. Um, Bayer, Corteva, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, and Cabela's and Bass Pro have um, helped sponsored our pollinator habitat outreach program, um, which is also included with these pollinator kits. So without them, we wouldn't be able to do these awesome kits. Um, so getting into the kits, what they are. Um, so these are going to be started wildflower plugs. Um, so they're going to look just like what your tomato or pepper plant would look like that you'd pick up from, you know, whatever store you have, mm -hmm. your Menards, Home Depot, um, except these are going to be native wildflowers. Um, we have three different species that'll be in the kit. Um, and so that'll give us something blooming early, mid and late through the season, which is 
my nerdy biologist coming out when I made these kits. We had the we had the option of doing one, two, or three species. And I was like, we have to do the max that we can do, even though, you know, these are small kits, right? They're not going to be our, our prime 30, 40 species mixes, seed mixes that we do. But um, my biologist nerdy self came <laughs> through. And um, so along with that, we also have a milkweed species in there too. So we have yarrow, um, butterfly milkweed, and then New England aster um, with the kits. And so You'll also get a pollinator habitat sign for your kit to put out wherever you plant your kit. Um, a pollinator sticker. So I am obsessed with stickers. <laughs> so pretty much I just made this kit to how what I would want to buy. Um, and so we got a really cool Pheasants Forever Quill Forever pollinator sticker that comes with it. I can't get anywhere else. Um, sign the plants and then we'll send you an e-planting guide as well too just so you know how to get these in and establish them correctly and then like Bob mentioned what I think is extremely important is our membership so wherever you are you can get either a pheasants forever membership or a quail forever membership <laughs> and, it, and, and the dog approves <laughs> it, yes she always finds those perfect moments to interject she knows she knows she's excited about it as well too what um, what kind of what kind of dog do you have anna i have a german shepherd okay um and she probably loves pollinators for a different reason um but i swear i have the only dog that like she will hunt bees Huh. I mean, across the yard. And so I'm I'm planting all this pollinator habitat in my backyard and she knows she's not supposed to. Um, so if I'm out there, she'll kind of give me a little side eye as she watched the bumblebee goes across. <laughs> but I mean, she'll hunt them if I'm not, if I'm not out there. I don't know. Don't know what it is, but. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's talk about this kit in the membership offer a little bit more. So uh, the sticker's great, but I'm maybe not as enthusiastic about the sticker as you are. Oh. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty excited about the uh, the plants, right? The the plugs, live plugs, just like you would get, as you say, if you went to the burpees catalog and ordered your tomato or pepper plants online, and they shipped to you as a living plant in a cardboard yep. box, right? Um, you mentioned nerding out as a biologist with the three phases of bloom. And I want to spend a little time um, having you explain to our listeners why that's important and why you nerded out as a biologist to, to fill those three bloom periods. So tell us, tell us why that's important to you. Um, so if we want to talk about just specifically the monarch butterfly, um, they will only lay their eggs on milkweed. Um, so there's over 100 different species of milkweed in the U.S. And so that's why that one plant was very, you know, specifically put into this kit for a reason. Um, but they can't just live off of just milkweed. Um, so just like we need to eat a diversity of foods, um, pollinators, monarchs need to also have a diversity of nectaring plants. Um, and not just at one time, they need that all throughout the growing season. And so this will be a great food source for those pollinators starting in April, all the way through the summer into fall. And, and butterfly milkweed is a little bit, well, let's just say in my view, it's it's the most beautiful of the milkweeds. It's super showy. It's it's really bright orange, lots of flowers. I mean, 
it's one of my favorite flowering plants, period. And then you have the fact that, you know, it's critical to, to monarchs. We, we often say, you know, monarchs equal milkweed, milkweed equal, equals monarchs. But we, we don't talk about it's just the there's common milkweed, there's swamp milkweed, there's butterfly milkweed. There's a lot of different milkweed species. And I would just put butterfly milkweed as the showiest, most beautiful of the bunch. Would you agree with that assessment? I agree. I have um, just at my property, I have three different species of milkweed that I've planted and butterfly is one of them and it is by far my favorite. Tell us about yarrow. Yarrow. Um, So I also have yarrow on my property. Um, So that'll bloom anywhere from April to May. It'll bloom in that early period. Um, It's a nice little white flower and it almost has a fern look to it. Um, So I think it's just a cool one to have all year round. Um, It doesn't, to me, it does not look like a weedy flower per se, right? It it looks pretty cool. So my wife Meredith loves yarrow and you're right. It's that it's a little, we we have a pollinator patch in our backyard and there's yarrow in it. I'm much more of a, like, I like big, bold, you know, (laughs) I get it. Yarrow serves a purpose. It's that early bloomer. It's important. To me, I'll take lupin. You know, I really like lupin. Am I pronouncing it right? Lupin or lupine? How do you pronounce it? I say lupine, but I could be wrong. So maybe it's, but I really like those big, bold purples. Drew be the tiebreaker. How do you pronounce it? I've heard it both ways, so I, I'm probably not a good, a good tiebreaker there. Well, it, it's it, a good pollinator plant for certain areas of the country. It, it, well, it, there, especially if you go along um, the North Shore of Lake Superior, there's lupin, lupin, lupine, tomato, tomato, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and it's gorgeous. And I love that purple, which you got, you serviced my desire for purple with the New England aster, didn't you? And, and yes. we shouldn't be misled by the fact that it says New England. It's good for all over the country as a pollinator plant, isn't it? Yep. Um, so New England aster, yeah, don't be, I guess, disguised by that. It's native. So all three of these species are all native to the U.S. Um, there'll be a few states in there where they're not native to, but if we're shipping them out that way, we'll make a swap with something native in there. Um, and so this, the New England aster, is a extremely pretty purple Gorgeous. for you, Bob. Um, and it has, when this flower blooms, there is so many flowers. Yeah. Um, it's not one of those where there's just, you know, kind of a few. It's the whole plant is covered in blooms. It, it's it's gorgeous. And we have those in our in our backyard, too. It, it's one of my favorites. And so this this pollinator kit, it, um, it comes with two of each of these plants, right? Two plugs each, correct? So, yep. so six total plants. Yes. Um, six total plants. You get the stickers. You get the sign. And your choice a Pheasants Forever membership or a Quail Forever membership and to go Ron Popeil on the deal. <laughs> do you know the Ron Popeil reference, Anna? No. Nope. <laughs> Drew, do you know who Ron Popeil is? Ron I don't. Popeil, it's it's the the pocket fisherman sales guy from the 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got you now. Yep. Okay. Got so, you now. My best infomercial um, uh, sales pitch, but for all that, your Pheasants Forever membership, your Quail Forever membership, 
six plugs of a, a native wildflower um, pollinator plants, the stickers and the sign, all for 35 bucks. Thanks in part to our sponsors underwriting um, this promotion to help really, really promote the, the intersection between Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever's Habitat Mission and Pollinator Week. So if listeners, say listeners are already members too, there's like, well, my membership's good till April of 2022. That's okay. You can take advantage of this offer and we'll tack a full year onto the end of your membership. So if your membership right now is good till April 2022. You could sign up for this. We'll tack on a full year beginning um, May 2022 and you'll go a full another full year. Um, so the offer is available at pheasantsforever.org slash pollinator week. Or if you prefer to get a quail membership, quailforever.org slash pollinator week. What I miss? I miss anything, Anna? So these are limited. Um, so don't procrastinate. If you're listening to this and you want to go get your awesome native wildflower plugs, um, we have unlimited quantity on there for what we could do. So there's going to be a little over 300 that we'll be able to give out. So if you want one, go on right away. I have a feeling these are going to go super quick. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, you know, hopefully it'll only take a couple of days because it is, you know, when if you were to go buy these plants on their own and your membership, and again, the membership includes the Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever sticker, the subscription to the journal, um, in addition to all this other stuff. I mean, it's it's like a no-brainer time to renew or to become a member um, and help us with our habitat mission. Um, it's just really, really an exquisite offer. One thing that, you know, for folks that are heavy duty into planting gardens and they might have, uh, you know, a pollinator patch in their own backyard, they're listening to this in, you know, third week in June, um, late June, they're thinking, boy, isn't it late to, is it too late even? to plant some of these, these plugs, but that's not the case with this, uh, Anna, is it? Nope. Um, so the cool thing, and I, I kill plants, right? Like my indoor <laughs> plants, they, they die, right? Um, I do not have a green thumb, but let me tell you, my pollinator garden looks amazing. Um, and that is not because of me by any means. These plants are, I mean, they've evolved mm. within this ecosystem, right? So they're very hardy. Um, you can plant them all throughout the summer, even fall. Mm -hmm. um, it's best to do it, you know, sometime in that early summer to midsummer and just keep them watered during that first year. And then the great thing is once they're established, um, you don't have to water them. So I can forget to go out and water those plants and they're not going to die on me, which is is good for me. <laughs> so you mentioned you have some uh, some of these planted in your own backyard. You know, yarrow, butterfly milkweed, and New England aster, all very beautiful. It, it, no offense to the, the yarrow folks. I like the other two better. Um, <laughs> do you have do you have an absolute favorite um, wildflower that's in, in your back um, planting? I think it I've been asked this question a couple times this week, Bob. 
Um, right now, I think it changes per season. So right now, my favorite is my Ohio spider wart. Okay, we got those. Yes. That, that's a really unique, uniquely shaped plant. It is. Um, and it blooms so long. Like it started blooming probably three, four weeks ago, and there's still blooms. Also on it. purple. Also purple, just for you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That, that, I, we have that in the backyard. That is a beautiful plant. What about you, Drew? What, what's your favorite uh, pollinator plant? Yeah, you hit on it already, Bob. Butterfly milkweed has always been yeah. been my favorite uh, for sure. Um, Spiderwort is a pretty cool one. If I had to pick another one, um, uh, Gay Feather is another really really cool. I don't know plant. that one. Um, yeah, it's, it's Blazing Star. Purple, Blazing oh. Star is another name for it. Okay, um, gotcha. Some people call it Gay Feather. Some people call it Blazing Star for the common name. There's a bunch of common names for it, but. Ooh. That purple color is pretty showy for a native uh, native wildflower. So if I had to pick a second, that'd be a, a close second for me. So I really like prairie smoke. That's kind of a that's kind of a unique shape when it when it blooms too. Um, and I, I mentioned how much I like purple, but I think my my two favorites are not purple. Um, compass plant, which is a, basically a, a wild sunflower, right? And it, it compass, it follows the th sun. The head of the plant follows the sun throughout the day. And then I really like cup plant, which is very similar. Uh, great big yellow sunflower, big leaves. The, the only thing about um, the cup plant is my the deer in my backyard destroy my, they just, they love the heck out of cup plant. Yeah. I, I, I struggle to get it to, to full maturity because they're always nipping on them. But it is. Deer do like cup plant. They do. They do. It's like sunflowers in general. They'll, they'll eat sunflowers in general, any sunflower species. It's like if, if I had a 12 pointer that I was trying to, to hunt, I <laughs> plant a food plot of cup plant because that's, that's what would bring, bring big Charlie in. Um, but, but I think it's, it's really, so th these six plugs that we're talking about with membership, you know, maybe you got a pollinator plant or a flower flower patch in your backyard, and this is a great way to add to it. Um, but maybe you haven't you haven't done it yet, and this is an amazing opportunity to get it started. And as Anna mentioned, from a biological perspective, these are native plants; they're hardy plants. You can plant them the entire duration of the spring, summer, and fall. Um, and they're going to, they're going to take hold with very little effort to, to care. And, you know, it, it is amazing how much you get connected to these plants to watch them throughout their entire, you know, emergence in the spring to bloom, um, to sort of the fall, you know, transformation and it's time to go hunting. And, you know, this will, for some people, come off as a preposterous statement, but it, the, the, the pollinator patch in my backyard has made me a better bird hunter because I can identify in October what those stems and plants were when they were blooming in June and July, creating insects for broods. And I can see them in the fall because they're in my backyard and say, Oh, I know what was here. This wasn't a monoculture of brome grass. 
this was a wonderful place for pheasants and quail to nest in June and for broods to feed on insects in July. This is a place I want to hunt. And it, it is not preposterous in the least. When you have a pollinator patch in your backyard, you will kill more pheasants and quail in, over your bird dogs in the fall because you can read the habitat better. Um, what do you think? Is that true, Anna? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I don't know if my friends get annoyed by it, I guess, or not. But if you go bird hunting with me, you're also gonna get some plant ID along with it. It's just, it's, it's what you get. And that's, if you yeah. ever, go ahead, Drew. No, I was, gonna, I was just gonna jump in and say, when, when I'm hunting early season, Bob, I'm looking for the nastiest, weediest spot I can find early season because those are the spots that brood success is the highest where you're gonna find birds. They're not easy to hunt in those spots, but right. you can pretty much rest assured there's gonna be some birds there. You, you made a really important distinction too, just um, early season, because if you find these spots, you'll find grass grasshoppers. If you find grasshoppers, you'll find broods, um, especially early season. Um, it just, it, you know, listeners, um, I'll say, you know, another bit of advice, befriend a pheasants forever or a quail forever biologist, whether that's your local farm bill biologist, a regional rep, you know, Jim Inglis, government affairs in Ohio, befriend, befriend a bi biologist and go hunting with them. And you'll look at the landscape and the habitat through a completely different lens. And uh, it's like reading a bird dog as a first-time bird dog owner. You know, you start to see a hunt through the eyes of a dog. You add a biologist to the mix and you start looking through the eyes of a biologist and your dog, you'll be unstoppable. So give it a shot. Uh, definitely check out your um, local USDA service center and Start talking bird hunting with your farm bill biologist in there. And you can find a map of our farm bill biologist um, under the conservation tab on both the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever website. All right, I've gotten long-winded um, talking the connection between pollinator habitat and hunting, but um, Anna, let, let's round us out on Monday through Friday, beginning with June 21st. What's the week of pollinator content look like on the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever website and websites and social media feeds? Tell us about it. Yep. So I think historically we've done a lot of blogs um, and posts like that, and we're kind of switching it up a little bit this year. Um, so we'll start off uh, with the blog, I guess, and then that's when our kits go live. Um, so go on that um, Pheasants Forever or quailforever.org slash pollinator week um, to purchase your kit. Um, and we'll have our first blog that first day highlighting um, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's impact on pollinators. So everything that our farm bill biologists are doing and how that impacts pollinators, pheasants, quail, all of our habitat education programs and how those are affecting pollinators. Um, Drew kind of touched on it a little bit, our pollinator habitat outreach program, one of our probably longer education programs that impacts pollinators. And it's it's a blast to go out on those projects, right? So we're getting kids out um, and not only 
talking to them about pheasants, quail, pollinator habitat. Most of these kids have probably never seen a pheasant or a quail. Um, some of them probably even haven't gone out of the city. Hmm. Um, and so we're taking them out, talking about all of this, and then having them plant a pollinator habitat at the end. Um, some of them are in town. Some of them are just outside of town that will eventually, you know, hold birds on them. Um, and to kind of see all those kids' faces um, as I get to dig something in the dirt, just this last year, she's like, I've never, I had a little girl come up to me and she's like, I've never planted anything before. Mm. I mean, never gotten her hands in the dirt and planted something. Um, and so that was just super cool to see her go out there and have a blast along with all the other kids. Um, so I'm getting off on a little bit of a, a bunny trail here on Pollinator Week, but um, so we're going to highlight that program um, along with a bunch of our other programs that Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever do. Um, and then starting the next day, Tuesday through Friday, we're going to have videos. Um, so this is kind of the new part. Um, so each of these videos is going to be done by one of our um, partners who helps um, fund the Pollinator Habitat Outreach Program and other education and outreach programs for Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. And they're going to speak to who they are um, and why they care about pollinators. Why is Bayer, you know, why do they care about pollinators, what they're doing, um, along with Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's Outdoor Fund, Corteva, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So it's going to be pretty neat yeah. seeing them talk about why they care. Um, so I did a couple of these videos, and they're, they're going to be pretty awesome. Um, hopefully, we're going to be connecting all of these videos as a monarch migration in the springtime, um, along with some pollinator or monarch facts sprinkled in them as well, too. Very fun. Very fun. So for listeners, um, make sure to follow, obviously, the websites, pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org, but you'll be able to see these videos on all our social channels, um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and there'll be videos, as Anna mentioned, Tuesday from Bayer, Wednesday from our friends at Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Outdoor Fund, uh, Thursday from Corteva, and Friday from uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, taking us home on Friday to close out Pollinator Week. All right, let's, uh, let's close out this episode of On the Wing Podcast Pollinator Week version um closing thoughts drew what do you what um what should, wrap a bow on this episode for us yeah i just think that uh this is a unique opportunity for folks to actually be part of uh the effort to save the monarch butterfly or, or pollinator this you know the one unique thing about pollinators as opposed to pheasants or quail is that no matter where you live uh, if you want to plant some native plants in your backyard, mm. if you live in an apartment apartment complex and you want to plant some native plants on your balcony in a pot, that's that's value added, believe it or not. So it's just kind of a unique opportunity where anybody can engage here and be involved and be part of the process. So uh, I just uh, kudos to Anna for putting together a really great program here for Pollinator Week, and I'm pretty pretty excited about it and waiting, waiting. looking forward to seeing the videos here in a couple of weeks. Right on. Just so uh, we touch on this for a moment, pollinators, you know, we, we use po the word pollinators, honeybees, butterflies, pretty interchangeable, but that's 
po- the the term pollinators extends to to bats to hummingbirds. I mean, it's it's a pretty broad spectrum that these plants we're talking about uh, benefits. Is that pretty accurate, Drew? Very accurate. Yeah, it's that uh, beetles is another big group of pollinators. So yeah, it's a very general term, but you know, and and the reason. You know, I think the other reason why we've engaged in this space a little bit, too, is it's it's pretty easy to talk about with folks, at least how it it, uh, it impacts them personally. You know, if you eat, um, pollinators make a third of the food that we eat on a daily basis. So whether you hunt yeah. or not, um, I don't that's fine, but you should care about what's happening to our pollinators and care about habitat and the places that they live. Right. On. And uh, um before I give you closing thoughts, I want to just shout out one more time that putting this membership offer pollinator kit together. Um, you know, we we've grown with pollinator week and the contents improved, but this is just such a remarkable offer for our, for our members. Um, it, it demonstrates the intersection between our habitat mission, the birds we love and the membership um, focus of, trying to execute how our dollars turn into habitat, you know, out of our mission. And you brought that all together in this really wonderful offer that, that came spawned from your brain, uh, which, which is just wonderful. And to put this in perspective for folks, you know, 300 memberships would be equivalent to say three chapter banquets um, in, in this one week timeframe. So um Hopefully you're listening and feel compelled to to jump on and either renew your membership or join. Um, but Anna, it really, really well done. Very exciting um, membership offer for folks here. Um, final words. This is your baby. Um, but give us uh, your final thoughts for this episode of On the Wing podcast. Drew had some really good points in there. I I just wanted to really make this kit where it's. I mean, it would be, you know, kind of stupid not to go get one, right? Um, Not only can you go and plant this and do something yourself and see it and get that reward year after year, these are perennials. So it's, you know, they're not just gone after a year. Um, But also your membership that goes back to pheasants forever and quail forever, that's then in turn creating more habitat elsewhere that you might not be able to touch yourself. Um, so no matter where you are, whether you're in a city or you just have a little farmstead, it's by purchasing one of these kits, you have your little impact and then you're making an even bigger impact out on the landscape through your membership. Yeah, right on. And if if you're listening and you're thinking, well, I'm already a member, uh, say you're already a life member of Pheasants Forever. That's OK. Sign up for Quail Forever. Quailforever.org slash pollinator week. Um, get on board. You can get this offer, get these plugs, yarrow, mu- uh, butterfly milkweed in New England aster, six plugs, stickers, a sign, the full meal deal membership to pheasants forever or quail forever. We don't hit you over the head listeners very often with membership, but it is absolutely the lifeblood of an organization like ours in particular um, with our unique model uh, where where our chapter fundraising stays under the control of our local volunteers to do good things out there in the landscape. These membership dollars are critical 
to the the health and the longevity of this organization and and 300 memberships through pollinator week with an offer like this would be just a wonderful influx of uh new members or renewed members so hopefully uh we've convinced you that you need butterfly milkweed in your life uh <laughs> mention it one more time pheasantsforever.org slash pollinator week or quailforever.org slash pollinator week. Anna, really wonderful job putting this together. Um, Drew, great talking with you. Um, even though, you know, we limited our Pearl Jam conversation to just a, you know, 30 seconds. We didn't, we, uh, we, well, we can do that after this episode. We can fanboy out a little bit. Definitely. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre for Anna Swarzak, for Drew Larson, reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>